0: Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, just a photographer who's been at it for over 30 years. But if a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our Creator, By capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection, It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week I share a devotional inspired by the name of that cross image and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. The cross image accompanying this devotional is the rose. It's an image from the early days of shooting the cross collection. The foreground around the cross is full of three foot high yellow grass, the kind of grass you typically see in late summer. And the landscape behind the cross contains miles of yellow grass all the way up to the tall eastern hills. The sky has a unique set of colors as the sun had just set. The sky is in a grayish-blue mixed with the most iridescent lavender. It's not pink or purple, but in the zone of magenta and close to lavender. And why the name of the rose? Well, I have to admit that the color is close enough to pink that when I got this image back from the photo lab, I was inspired to think of a pink rose. And when contemplating what the title of the image, I could not help but think of the Rose of Sharon. And I always thought that that verse was referring to an actual rose, yet in preparation for this week's devotional, I found that it is a deciduous flowering shrub known as the Rose of Sharon, and is a member of the Mallow family, which is distinct from the family Rosaceae. It seems that I am not alone in the name's colloquial application, and has been an example of the lack of precision of common names, which can potentially cause confusion, Rose of Sharon has become a frequently used catchphrase in poetry and lyrics. And since I am an artist, I will, for the purposes of this devotional, consider it an actual rose. Why? Because the flowering shrub that has that real title does not have thorns, and I am attracted to the dichotomy and contrast. To the visual sense, color and symmetry, the sense of touch, softness, and the olfactory sense, it smells good, against the danger and pain of the thorns. And because my original perspective back when I named this image matches well to a quote attributed to William Penn that states, No pain, no palm, no thorns, no throne, no gall, no glory, no cross, no crown. Interesting, no thorns, no throne. Well, Jesus did tell his disciples that in the kingdom of heaven that a ruler of all is to be the servant of all. And in that same exchange found in Mark ten thirty eight, prompted by the sons of thunder, James and John, Jesus asked, Can you drink the cup I am to be baptized? Or the baptism I am to be baptized with. He was referring to his crucifixion and all the pain and torture he endured from the garden to the final breath on the cross. And most every disciple of his 12 disciples did. They all did. They all experienced persecution and horrific deaths, all of course except the other John, the one Jesus called the disciple I loved the one we see at the cross with his mother, and the one we see banished on the island of Patmos. And while, yes, his disciples shared in his suffering, and as followers of Jesus, we too should be ready and able to endure whatever for the glory of God and the kingdom of heaven. I have a slightly different take, or I did when I chose the name of this image, and that is because of and through the literal thorns on the crown they shoved into the skull of our Christ, and figurative thorns, all the sins and evil Jesus took on and in himself, that we do not have to pay the debt we rightly owe, namely, eternal damnation and torture in the afterlife. The whole plan, intertwined in the Bible, from Eden to Calvary, was that Jesus came to take the thorns so that we experience the joy of God's rose. The reason Jesus came is so that we will not have to drink the cup of God's wrath. And Jesus does not ask us to drink the cup of God's wrath with him. He asks us to partake in the communion of his body and blood. In that, we are covered by his sacrifice and protected from God's wrath. Mark 14:22 to 25 Just as the Israelites were during the Passover. Exodus 12 in our churches today, we drink the cup, symbolic of that blood, that was initiated at the Lord's Supper. This shows our oneness with the church and our acceptance of a joined fate, including the persecution needed to further the gospel, Colossians one twenty four, and the glorious marriage of the Lamb and the church, Revelations 19.6-10. Those who reject Jesus in the tribulation will feel the full cup of God's wrath. However, as God's judgment rains down on the world. Revelation 6 to 18. In Greek culture, the word baptism is a metaphor for being overwhelmed or immersed in something. This is similar to the modern cliche baptized by fire used when we mean overwhelmed by challenges from the beginning. Jesus is, in a sense, baptized or immersed in our sins, and God's wrath on the cross. 1 Peter 2.24 and 2 Corinthians 5.21 But this meaning was not common or familiar to the Jews of the time. At that time, baptism was a sign that one followed the teachings of a specific rabbi or school. In Jesus' ministry, people are baptized as a sign of their repentance from sin and we apply this meaning as well. After the crucifixion and resurrection, the symbolism of baptism became richer. In our time, baptism is a metaphor for dying to sin and rising again in new life in Christ. Romans 6, 3-4, Colossians two twelve. This is the mystery of the cross. And with that background to this image in mind, we focus on today's devotion regarding the mystery of the cross. Because while the act of sacrifice Jesus chose to allow provides salvation to all, it also provides an example of how we, as followers of Christ, are to live. How are we to live through the intention of continually saying to God, not my will, but yours be done, and to die to oneself daily? But why? How did a deathly torture tool of the Romans become a source of ethereal encouragement for adherents of a new religion? How did something so offensive become such a source of inspiration? Well, like most topics of study, it helps to go back to the beginning and view these paradigms from the beginning. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, there were only a small percentage of non-Jewish Hebrews involved in the story. There were only a few examples of Gentiles in the early gospel story. One of the most profound is the Roman centurion, upon watching the crucifixion and Jesus passing, was quoted as saying, surely this man was the son of God. Later in the book of Acts, we read of the Ethiopian eunuch learning about the gospel. But originally, the story of Jesus and his resurrection was a Jewish story that the Hebrew people had to come to grips with. We see a polarity of reactions leading up to and past the crucifixion. Upon Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, on a day we refer to now as Palm Sunday, the Bible says the entire Hebrew population of the city came out to praise, worship, and welcome Jesus into their midst. Then... Less than a week later, a large percentage of those Hebrews were demanding the one considered to be the Messiah not just to be executed, but executed by means of the Roman technique of crucifixion. Sure, they were whipped up into a mob by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish priest class, the pinnacle of upper crust running that society. And I believe the priest whipped the mob into a frenzy to secure the type of death for Jesus that would carry the greatest stigma of curse and shame the religious leaders had seen the rise of the disciples of John the Baptist and of course the crowds that followed Jesus think about it just the estimates of the amount of people at the sermon on the mount and the and the miracle of the feeding the masses with the 5 loaves and 2 fishes was about Five thousand people, some Bible commentators contend that that estimate was of the men in the crowd, meaning the total of the entire crowd with women and children was about twenty thousand. Those kinds of numbers frightened the religious leaders in that popular sects, like the sect emerging around Jesus, could undermine their authority and financial benefits. The Jerusalem crowd welcoming Jesus on Palm Sunday was in my opinion, a final straw for the priests who had to kill this new sect at its root, which was Jesus. And since the Roman crucifixion carried with the deepest shame in Hebrew culture and society, then not only would Jesus be seen as curse of God, but also anyone else associated with Jesus would be stigmatized and shunned by the Jewish society. Keep that in mind. When we consider how this society heard the news that the crucified Jesus had been risen from the grave, one thing the Bible tells us is that the priests immediately disseminate misinformation, claiming the disciples of Jesus stole the body to create a false story of resurrection. They wanted, the priests wanted Yeshua to be a stumbling block to the wider Jewish society to test their response to his ministry and message, and it worked. Most people were offended at him, but in the end, Yeshua was crucified for the sake of their offenses. As I mentioned, after his death, the cross itself became a scandal of faith. St. Paul, in Galatians 5.11, referred to the offense of the cross, which he did not want removed. But what is this offense of the cross? In other words, why is the proclamation of the crucified Messiah a scandal to Jews and foolishness to the Greeks? To the Jewish people of the day, the idea that Yeshua had to die a death, cursed by law of Moses, is regarded as entirely repugnant. How could the Christ, the Messiah, supposedly the Savior of the Hebrews and anointed, be cursed? Even after a plethora of prophecies, especially in Isaiah, Yeshua was rejected as a Messiah. The concept of their Messiah being made sin, took sin upon and in him, and being made a curse to redeem all under the curse of the law was very offensive to the Jewish people. According to Isaiah fifty-three two, regarding Jewish religious sensibilities, Yeshua simply had no form or comeliness. And from a a completely different side of the prism, the message of the cross offended because it revealed the unvarnished truth about our spiritual condition. It can seem frustrating to some that your best efforts are useless before God. The real situation about the human condition is offensive. It hurts our pride to admit that we are twisted, broken, and helpless. The message of the cross is offensive to the human nature of most, and most of them seek to justify the goodness of their life. It can be humiliating to admit that our sinful condition is so profound that it took nothing less than the death of a Hebrew man, incarnated, anointed, and blameless, to satisfy God's wrath. The cross implies that we are incapable to save ourselves and lost in sin. These perspectives were new and, let's face it, foreign to the Jew of the day. Even though most of which were Hebrew, defined as one who has passed over to the other side, crucifixion with Yeshua was the ultimate going over. The history of mankind and God's plan was fulfilled in the cross of Christ. It means to those that believe we are now a new creation, it means our former identity Jew, male, or Gentile, or female, are inapplicable under the New Covenant. The point I'm trying to convey is that the Jew of the time was full of pride about their identity as a descendant of Abraham. For most, it was a barrier to considering the slightest any aspect of the message of Yeshua, the one cursed by God and shamed by the Gentile occupying force. In more than just pride, the message was offensive to their worldview. This is why religious leaders like Saul persecuted Christians, and why after his conversion to Paul, he was persecuted, imprisoned, beat up and left by dead, stoned. As I mentioned at the top of this devotional, I am not a theologian or Bible scholar. I am trying to impart how scandalous, offensive, and shameful The message of Yeshua was during the early church period. Any Jew that converted meant complete disdain and loss of any society, any status in that society, and in their own town or region. It was not a small thing to leave the Jewish faith. It meant leaving the social structure, family and friends, to follow and preach the good news of the gospel. As John mentioned, The Romans viewed the cross as a symbol of total defeat. As an occupying military force, complete submission is something the Romans sought over the people they ruled. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst criminals, and especially insurgents, rebels, and revolutionary fighters. It was a contemptuous display of loathing, contempt, and complete loss. One new thing I learned was that the Romans wanted to rob the crucified from even making their hearts right with God, meaning this process of death, stringing them upright on a cross, prevented them from asking forgiveness on their knees or with their breath, because they were slowly being suffocated. Now, switching to another side of the prism, to the Greeks, which were the world power, along with the Romans, The whole story was simple foolishness. The Greek mind gloried in the autonomous use of reason to discern a world order of perfection. God was understood as a divine mind and a philosophical construct that gave order and purpose to the universe. The very thought that the Creator would require the torture of an innocent man to atone for the sins of others was actually seen as immoral indecent and preposterous. The enlightened mind, the one who seeks objective truth and rational comprehension, to them the story of Yeshua was patently absurd. Christianity claimed to be the eternal, essential truth that came into existence in time. It proclaims itself as the paradox and thus requires an inwardness of faith, which was perceived as foolishness to Greek culture and incompatible with true understanding. The Christian, however, soon made up of Jews and Gentiles, delighted in the cross. As John said, the early Christian church sees the cross in a divine mystery, the wisdom, grace, strength, and power of God himself. And then John starts to give us a glimpse into the mystery of true godliness. Most every religion the ones not based in reincarnation, is centered around how a person can get to and achieve the acceptance of a God. But the liberating hope of the gospel is that the entire story of the Bible, the entire story of mankind, from the Garden of Eden to Calvary to the open tomb, is God making a way to come to us, to save us, to restore a right relationship with us. Meaning, when Adam and Eve fell, the beautiful, unique, and intimate relationship with God was lost. Why? Because God is holy and cannot cohabitate with sin. Therefore, by placing the sin of man and his only Son on the cross, the way was open to those who believe, to a restored right relationship with us humans. We no longer needed something like animal sacrifice, Or someone, like a ruling priest class, to have an immediate and intimate relationship with the God of the universe. Some do not see or understand this paradigm. The world sees this perspective as silliness, foolishness, and even weakness. Yet at the cross, the disdain of the Jew, the view of absurdity of the Greeks, and the pride of the Romans are all conquered by the sanctification, salvation, and spiritual renewal provided by the sacrifice on the cross. All the attempts to be good and self-righteous falls apart in futile despair. However, for us who believe it is the underpinning of our hope, hope in the midst of the ups and downs of life, sometimes full of grief, pain, and loss, at the foot of the cross, we gladly give up the pursuits of prosperity and earthly success to follow live up and live out the will of god to take up our cross daily ready to sacrifice our wants and to meet the needs of those god sends to us in frequent divine appointments every day and the mystery of the cross is that we believers never grow weary of looking to the cross not like idol worshippers, no not like worshiping an idol, but as a way to stay focused on the meaning and effect of the sacrifice made on it, a view of the cross that will be a lifelong focus for me. I came across some that provides insight to the mystery of the cross, and it is a hymn by Isaac Watts entitled, At the Cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, My riches gain, I count as loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love mingle down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns, Compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small? Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The other hymn I like is On the Cross by Jeff Baker, which goes like this On the cross, on the cross where the King of Glory died, here is grace, here is love. Flowing from that wounded side. Amazing mystery that he should die for me. As a perfect sacrifice. On the cross. On the cross. Love incarnate on the cross. At the cross. At the cross. All my sin Jesus laid. mine the debt. His the cost. By his blood the price is paid. And through his suffering. That fragrant offering. Arms of Love. Are open wide at the cross. At the cross, there is healing. At the cross, to the cross, to the cross, spirit, lead me to the cross. Bowed in awe at his feet, riches gain. I count as loss. Nothing compares with this to share his righteousness and be called a child of God. To the cross, to the cross. Spirit lead me to the cross, both of which inspires me to pray and sing along to other versions of the song entitled, The Jesus Prayer, which goes like this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinful one. That is a prayer to me, and the song continues, maker of the bread from the wheat of my life, savor of my soul, anointed Christ. Eternally begotten Son, yet born to this world through Mary. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinful one. Forgiveness and love when I stumble and fall. Compassion and mercy. Have mercy, O God. As far as the east is from the west, so far are our sins in the mind of God through Jesus. Have mercy on me, a sinful one. This, I believe, is the proper posture, staying always humble, never haughty or proud. We need to always keep the mystery of the cross in our awareness because there will always be demons, humans guided by the demons, or just bitter humans, that will do all they can to distract you from your destiny in God. There will always be some that will try to intercept the message of the cross, I found in 1 Corinthians 2.8 that the cross is a wisdom that none of the masters of this age have ever known, or they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But this mystery, not the other mysteries of the cross, is the most important yet often missed mystery of the cross of Christ. And that is, Jesus prayed for those who beat him, spit on him, struck him with a rod, pulled out his beard, whipped him. Jesus prayed for those hammering the nails into his wrists and feet. As Christians, as followers of Christ, are we not to emulate our Lord and Savior? So returning to the last mystery, the one about how the church always grows in persecution or in times of persecution. How are you, how am I to react when people make our lives miserable? Because of our faith or agents of the ruling power persecute us? Again, how are we to respond? Well, if I am right about such people, then they're either being manipulated by dark forces or just feeling angst because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit inside of them. And as such, then we should not respond in anger or retribution, but in sympathy and prayer. Obviously, their life took a turn that led them down a dark path. We should pray for them right then and there. And if you're praying for them under your breath, and they keep coming at you. It helps you to stay in the right state of mind, in love, asking the Lord to forgive them and reach them where they are. And finally, from yet another side of the prism of today's devotional topic, which is a line written by Michael Card called Live This Mystery. In a section it says, In Him we live, in Him we move, in Him all things are made new. The mystery of the life in Christ is that Christ can live in you. My life is hidden in thee. I must live this mystery. If you are a Christian, have you been living this mystery? If not, I suggest you meditate on the mystery of the cross and the phrase Jesus said as he passed, it is finished. Why? Because it removes doubt, fear, and pain and provides the faith needed to endure every trial and to also be ready to sacrifice whatever you are called to for the kingdom of God. Knowing that the truth and joy of the gospel is that you are a forgiven person. Go, be that person, sharing that joy with other people who are in need of it today. If you are not a Christian, meaning you have yet to accept the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you yet, then I suggest you contemplate what Jesus did for you. Read the crucifixion accounts in the Bible and consider asking God to refine your soul and heal your heart. Ask Jesus to walk with you and fill you with his love and joy today. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program, heard every week on Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed in this devotional episode, The Rose, then check out Rob Holt Inspires on Instagram. And if you'd like to see my other Verspirations, then check out Verspiration, singular, on Instagram. Support for what the cross means to me comes from the generous donations from people like you. To help this ministry share the gospel through imagery, please log on to RobbieHolt.com and make a donation. That is O B B. Y-H-O-L-T dot com.